add my welcome to you all this morning. My name is Greg Dernberger, and I'm senior pastor of Emmaus Road Church, one of the elders here. Somebody, um, I, I was kind of knocked off balance this morning emotionally when someone told me that um, the 10-day forecast includes about six inches of snow, and I, uh, I, I, I'm shaken, um, so I'm going to try to make it through this now um, and practice what I intended to preach, uh, because I believe this text helps us in navigating through confusing and disorienting and disequilibrating times. So I do invite you to turn, if you would, to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. It is our custom to observe at least once a month, usually in the first Sunday of each month, the, the ordinance, or some call it the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. That is, we set aside a portion of this gathering in order to say together, Christ died for our sins, those revolutionary words. We say it with words, we, we say it in song, and then we visualize it by tearing pieces of bread from a loaf, taking a sip of uh, juice uh, from a cup. Um, this tearing and this sipping is like uh, flesh being torn from a body and sipping blood. That's a gruesome notion, but there is nothing more gruesome than death by crucifixion, and Christ Jesus really died by crucifixion on a cross for our sins, and by tearing and eating and drinking and singing, we are proclaiming, we are acting it out that Jesus suffered and Jesus died to atone for our guilt, to pay our debt, to open the way, to provide an access for all who believe in Him, who entrust themselves to His substitute sacrifice in their place, access into the glories of God the Father, and to enjoy unspeakable blessing, the unspeakable blessing of soul satisfaction and security in God the Father forever. Now today... We're going to do this all just a little bit different. Rather than making the Lord's Supper the focus of the last 10 minutes or so of this gathering, we're going to make it the focus from now until the end of this gathering. And my aim is to draw your attention to the meaning of John chapter 14, verse 6, and God willing, through corporate singing together, corporate confession together, uh, I want to help us to see and to sense the significance of the meaning of John chapter 14, verse 6, in Jesus' death on the cross for us who believe. John 14, 6 is one of the most familiar, most memorized verses in the Bible. Uh, when our boys, from the time they were born, I, I, this was like the first verse that, that I would I would recite over them at bedtime when they were babies, and it was the first verse that we would learn together by memory when it was time to go to bed. It was, a, it was the first verse in, in the verse game, which was a, a, a bit of a, 
thing that I did with our, our guys. It was kind of like a game show, and, and uh, th they would win these ridiculously imaginary prizes by being able to recite verses that I asked them to recite. And, and, and John 14, 6 was exceedingly important in first because in this verse, Jesus solidifies a truth claim that he has been making more or less explicitly throughout John's gospel. In one sentence, Jesus encapsulates his entire message. He ties all the loose ends together, and he does so in the context. He does it in the context of growing and intensifying darkness, tension. So he speaks this sentence on the night before his death. He speaks this sentence to his gathered circle of disciples. They just finished a meal. Evening had fallen. Candles are lit around the room, I'm sure. They're lounging together. But the mood is unsettled. The disciples' hearts are not at rest. They're troubled. Everyone in that room has a sense of Pending disaster. Jesus has said one of them would betray him. Judas has ominously left the gathering. And at that very moment, he is making his way through the night to seek out the Jewish authorities. His purpose is to communicate to them his intent to turn Jesus over to them. And Jesus knows all that's going on. And even though he knows that that's what's going on, and he knows all that is about to happen, Jesus calmly speaks into the anxious tension of the moment. And here's what he says. This is uh, John chapter 14. I'm going to begin in verse 1. Follow along. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These are the words of our Lord Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. We do look to you now, Lord, um, hoping, trusting, confident that it is your good pleasure to make your presence manifest, that you mean to be revealing your 
nearness among us. You mean to set things apart by um, making it plain that you are active and working among us. So we're looking to you, Spirit of God. Open the eyes of our hearts. We look to you, Spirit of God. Reveal the glories of God the Father. Reveal the glories of the Lord Jesus. Magnify your presence and your power among us by assuring us that we have access through Christ. Showing us the glories of Christ. Causing us to sense and feel and experience the beauties and the power of Christ. Giving us life in our inner being so that we would be inclined and we would be active in our thinking. We would be engaged. We would be moving. We would be drawing near. We would be coming to. We would be leaning in. Show the life, Holy Spirit, that you bring to the people of God. And so, let your word do its work. Generate fresh, lively, expectant faith. And point us again and again to the beauty of Jesus and the soul satisfaction and security that's in the Father. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. A new commandment I give to you, said Jesus in John 13, 34. Just just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That's what Ryan drew our attention to last week, helped us to make the connection that our ability to actually fulfill that new commandment, our ability to love one another as Jesus has loved us, expresses His love toward us, that requires something to happen in us before we can love others sacrificially, uh, before we can lay down our prerogatives, before we can lay down our self-protection, lay down our lives for one another, as Jesus laid down his life for us, our souls must experience something. They must experience something of the freedom. They must experience something of the fullness that only rises and only overflows in sacrificial love when our souls are satisfied and secure in all that God is for us. We have to experience something. Is it not remarkable that Jesus announces this new commandment on the night, at the hour, in the moment, when the impulse towards self-protection and the impulse towards self-preservation was, it was set to a hair trigger. Jesus knew that in just a few short hours, his loyal band of brothers, in the face of arrest and indictment for their association with him, were going to run for their lives. They weren't going to lay down their lives. They're going to save their lives. Which should make it emphatically clear to us that experiencing soul satisfaction and security and all that God is for us is a miracle. 
It is a miracle of God's lavish grace. He generously supplies all that we need to fulfill all of His commands. And so, the laid down our life love for one another that truly sets us apart um, and disciples of Jesus is a gift poured out into our hearts by our Heavenly Father. And loved ones, it is the Father's good pleasure to pour it out. To pour out soul satisfaction and security in all that He is for us in Jesus. We know that because through Jesus, God the Father has overcome every obstacle within us to knowing and experiencing and enjoying all that He is for us. And there are three most fundamental obstacles in the way of our knowing and experiencing and enjoying all that God is for us in Jesus. Those obstacles are one, our own sin, and two, our own futile, twisted thinking, and three, our own spiritual deadness. The Apostle Paul describes our problem like this. No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, and no one seeks for God. Obstacle number one, no one is righteous. And only the righteous, the pure, the holy can have access to the Father. Obstacle number two, no one understands. We can't think straight. Sin has made a mess of our minds. Obstacle number three, no one seeks God. Why? Because, spiritually speaking, we're dead. And dead people don't seek God. But loved ones, Jesus died on the cross to remove each and every one of those obstacles so that we might have full access to all that God is for us. And so he says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if, if the first and most obvious obstacle to our knowing and experiencing and enjoying soul satisfaction and security in God our Father is our own sin, then the first provision of Jesus is removing our sin. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. The psalmist asks the rhetorical question, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? How do we get access to this grace of God? Who? Who can do that? Well, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. So who can come to the Father? No one. No one can come to the Father because no one is righteous. No one has clean hands. No one has a pure heart in and of themselves. Not one. So who shall then ascend the hill of the Lord? How is it possible to have access to the Father? The only way is through the righteousness, through the cleanness, through the purity and holiness of another. That is, through Jesus Christ. The way by which 
we can know and experience and enjoy and have full access to the soul satisfaction and security that is poured out in abundance and in overflowing fullness, in eternal pleasure in God's presence, is ours by grace through faith, having been joined to the righteousness, the holiness, the purity of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. So through faith in Jesus, joined to Jesus, God counts us righteous, and by that righteousness, the righteousness of another, loved ones, we have access to come to the Father through the Lord Jesus. And therefore, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Come to the Father with a true heart in full assurance of faith and with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's just open our hearts and minds to to dwell on this and to think about this and to meditate on this as as we sing together. Let's stand. Jesus is the way, our righteousness by which we have complete access to the Father. If Jesus has removed the first obstacle then to our coming to the Father by substituting our unrighteousness with His righteousness, then He removes the second obstacle by showing us in His human life, in His infallible teaching the undisputable and unshakable truth of who God is. The Apostle Paul states the obstacle standing in the way like this. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. But through Jesus, the Father obliterates this obstacle. He he clears the fog. One of the things I like to do in my free time is, is fishing. And if you've ever gone fishing with a rod and a reel, you have perhaps experienced what fishermen call a backlash. A backlash is when the line on the fishing reel just, it just turns into this total tangled mess. And when you have a backlash, uh, I mean, it's such a mess that you're tempted to either just pull the line off the reel or cut it off or whatever, start over. Um, that's our minds because of sin. Our minds become a backlash of tangled thoughts and twisted perspective and confusion. And um, 
It's a tangled mess. Through Jesus, the mess, the backlash of tangled thinking about ourselves, tangled thinking about others, tangled thinking about our circumstances, tangled up thinking about the world and what makes sense and what doesn't make sense about God and and all that He is for us is untangled. And that's because, according to John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So Jesus is not only the way, He is the truth. And no one knows rightly, no one understands rightly, no one comes to the Father rightly except through Him. And it's crucial that we remember that Jesus, again, spoke this sentence into the minds of men who were facing a backlash of confusion. They were, there were people out there, people out there who wanted to hurt them. Their leader was sending signals Directly and indirectly, symbolically, that he wasn't going to be around for very long. The fabric of their fellowship was being stretched and pulled to the tearing point. The stability of the mission and purpose and everything they had lived for and given themselves up for for the past few years was being shaken. Great suffering was ahead disorienting circumstances were just around the corner. Anyone with an an ounce of emotional intelligence could feel the rising disequilibrium. And Jesus speaks into that reality and says, I'm the way and I'm the truth. No one comes to the Father No one finds soul satisfaction and security in the midst of all of that backlash except through me. What's your disequilibrating moment? What is your disorienting circumstance? Where are things backlashed for you? Jesus is the way and the truth. You know, that's not just a bold, exclusive, audacious claim. It is all that. No one has ever made a more bold, exclusive, audacious claim. But in the context, when we face the fog of temptation, when we face the fog and the confusion of suffering or troubling doubts about who God is, John 14, 6 is also a promise. It's a promise. It holds a promise to us in those moments. 
those confusing moments, those disorienting moments, that Christ Jesus alone is the embodiment of all that's sure. He alone is the embodiment of all that's accurate. He's the embodiment alone of all that's solid and true and unshakable. And through Christ alone, we come to the Father in whom is all soul security and peace. Let's just let that rest on us again as we, as we sing together. Stand again. There is a third obstacle to coming to the Father and finding soul satisfaction and security. And that, that third obstacle is spiritual deadness. By nature, we are dead to God. By nature, we have no sense of Him. By nature, we have no desire for Him. By nature, we are unresponsive to Him. By nature, we feel no affection for Him. Nothing. The Apostle Paul says it like this. And you were dead. In the trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So, so being dead to God, no one comes to God. Period. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Unless the Father, through the promise, the promise of, of initiative, the promise of a new work, the promise of spiritual birth, the promise of new spiritual life, fulfilled and accomplished by no one other than the person and work of the Lord Jesus, no one will come. No one can come. No one is able to come. No one is inclined to come. No one cares to come. That's spiritual deadness. In Luke's account of this last gathering of Jesus with His disciples, Jesus took bread and the cup and he said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. What did, what did Jesus mean? Well, he's referring 
to the fulfillment of the promise of the new covenant made by the Father to overcome, to overcome this obstacle of spiritual deadness in those who would then come to Him. Jeremiah chapter 31. I will make a new covenant, declares the Lord. And this is the covenant I will make. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. And they shall be my people. I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. The the fundamental promises of this new covenant fulfilled in Jesus' death are one, God blots out all the record of all the sins of His people. He'll remember their sins no more. Past, present, future. But second, it is the promise of a changed heart. A heart that was once that once rejected, that once ignored, that once hated the Father and all that the Father delights in. These hearts with new life, given new life, blessed with new spiritual life, now will find soul satisfaction and security in the Father. What grieves the Father now grieves them. What the Father delights in, they now delight in. What the Father is about, they are about. What the Father wills, they want to will. Where there once was spiritual inability, there is now new spiritual life and power. What a gift. What grace. And it is that blessing, that fulfillment of that new covenant in and through Jesus that we're going to now proclaim and visualize together. So the the worship team and I are going to invite you, we invite you now to join us in a prayer. It's a prayer of confession of sin, but it's also a prayer of faith, expressing our coming to the Father through Jesus. And we invite you to make this prayer your own. We invite you to pray it with us. We're going to invite you to do that responsively so you can have to be attentive and and, uh, engaged. And and then we're going to sing a song of celebration and thanksgiving to God for the gift of the new covenant blessing that is ours in Christ. And then we're going to invite you, if you are trusting Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and for the fulfillment of each and every promise that God makes and fulfills, and you accept and submit to the claim that He makes as Lord over your life, we're going to invite you to come and receive the bread and the cup, which are symbolic of what Jesus has done to grant us full access into all that God is for us. So, Let's stand together and we are going to pray this prayer. And I think it should be fairly clear. I will be the leader. Men, you read men. Women, you read the women. And we'll all read all. Here we go. Holy and righteous God, we confess like Isaiah We are a people of unclean lips. But it is not only unclean lips we possess. 
We are people with unclean hands and unclean hearts. We have broken your law times without number and are guilty of pride, unbelief, self-centeredness, and idolatry. Affect our hearts with the severity of our sin and the glory of your righteousness as we now acknowledge our sins in your holy presence. We have worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. We have sought satisfaction in this world's pleasures rather than in you. We have loved to praise our glory more than yours. We have taken your name in vain. We have prayed religious prayers to impress others. We have uttered your name countless times without reverence or love. We have listened to others use your name in vain without grieving. We have murdered in our hearts. We have often destroyed our neighbor with our tongues. We have been quick to uncharitably judge others. We have have considered revenge when we were sinned against. We have committed adultery with our eyes. We have loved temptation rather than fighting it. We have lusted after unlawful and immoral pleasures. We have have justified our lust by using the world as our standard. We have stolen what is not ours and coveted what belongs to others. Our lives overflow with discontent, ungratefulness, and envy. We have complained against your abundant provision. We have sought to exalt ourselves through owning more. We've lied to you and to others. We have told distorted truths, half-truths, and untruths. We have despised the truth to make ourselves look better. Even Even in in our our confession, confession, we we look look for ways to hide hide our our guilt. guilt. Oh God, we've sinned against your mercy times without number. We are ashamed to lift up our faces before you. For our iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? How shall we answer you? We lay our hands on our mouths. We have no answer to your righteous wrath and just judgment. We We have have no no answer. answer. But But God God has mercifully provided one for us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And therefore he is the way and the truth and the life. And all who turn to him and trust him have full access to God and his soul-satisfying security. Amen. You may be seated.